Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. We spend about one third of our lives doing it. Yes, I'm talking about sleep. It's a hot topic for sports parents everywhere because we know it helps our kids' bodies and brains recover, but we're always worried they're not getting enough sleep. And we're actually right. In the new book called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention, author Johan Hari includes research that says over the past century, the average child has lost 85 minutes of sleep every night. The effects of this are powerful for children. With training commitments, schoolwork and a social life, how do we get our sports kids to get more sleep without a war erupting at home every night? Adding to this is the often tricky early mornings or late night games to contend with. We've got 4am starts here for swimming and soccer later in the afternoon for our other daughter. We're often left wondering how we can better manage the sleep situation. You're probably experiencing a similar thing at your house. So we reached out to Dr. Laura Piramali, whose area of expertise is in recovery strategies, in particular, sleep. She's currently working at the Western Australian Institute of Sport in the Performance Services Program and has previously supported the Australian Netball Diamonds as a recovery physiologist and before that, numerous roles at the Australian Institute of Sport. In this conversation, you'll hear whether naps are a help or a hindrance, exactly how much sleep an adolescent athlete really needs and the importance of circadian rhythm and what this means. Get comfortable, you're going to love this chat with Laura. That's a very good question. Well, I started as a youngster, so I was a track and field athlete when I was um, smaller, and I think like a lot of us in sport, you get to the higher ranks and you realise you're not going to become the best in Australia. So Mm -hmm. you flip it and you go and study it and try and help others be the best that they can be. So I started my journey and went into sports science um, and then was very fortunate enough as soon as I finished uni, I was able to join the Australian Institute of Sport. So as a 21-year-old, went over there just for a year. Um, and got to learn off the world's best, essentially, in physiology. So, and as you all understand as well with Canberra, it takes a hold of you. So while the intention was only there to be for a year, it's a, oh, yeah. it's an easy place to live, isn't it? So, it is indeed. <laughs> yes. so how long did you end up in Canberra for? Five years. Yeah, right. Okay. So, um, okay. during that time, I kind of jumped around a bit at the Australian Institute of Sport. So I started my honours when I was there in recovery. And then I ended up staying and doing a PhD looking into sleep. So currently what we're going to be talking about today. And then from there, I just worked with a lot of different sports and then um, fell into netball. So I then went for five years with Netball Australia and the Australian Diamonds and did their recovery and physiology and their sports science. Mm -hmm. And then last year I started with WACE as their performance support manager. Yeah, and that's where I am today. When you were with Netball, were you operating out of WA or where were you? No, I was on the East Coast. So I've come back to WA after being away for 12 years. So it's a very different place than it was 12 years ago. Yeah. And you're a bit of a hermit kingdom at the moment. How does that feel? 
you know what, over here it's fantastic. You wouldn't know yeah, that there's this thing called COVID, the but there is a bit of a yep. brick wall that's been resurrected. Slowly trying to knock it down at the moment to let people in yeah. and out. <laughs> Let's talk about sleep and do a bit of a deep dive into that. It is often regarded as the single best recovery strategy available to an athlete, yet most of us know very little about it. Um, you've been involved in the research that you talked about and studies around sleep with elite athletes. Can you talk about where your interest in learning more about sleep came from? When I was at the AIS to um, be led by one of the world experts in recovery, so Dr. Shona Halson, and at the time mm-hmm. sleep was just starting to take off, so we are just starting to understand a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. We knew it was good for you, but we didn't realize the extent of it. Mm-hmm. So um, Shona had just secured a large grant um, and I got to take that over as part of my PhD and embark cool. on this big thing called sleep that, you know, we all do every night and mm-hmm. we sleep for a third mm-hmm. of our lives. So super interesting. What are some of the basic things that we can do, Laura, that improve our sleep hygiene? It's quite interesting. There is a lot of things that we can do. And sometimes I find it frustrating because the most effective things are often the most simplest things. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the number one is routine, routine, routine. So just like our body knows it's dinner time, you know, our belly rumbles when it's lunchtime or dinner time, mm-hmm. it's the same with sleep. So the more you can go to sleep at the same time each night and wake up, the body just loves it. So that's one of the main things is try and anchor your wake time and try and get to bed at the same time or around about the same time every night. Mm -hmm. Um, The second one on routine is also having a pre-bed sleep routine. So this is something I hadn't really thought of before, before I started studying it. But essentially half an hour before you go to bed, if you just think about it, do you do the same thing each night? So do you go and have a shower, clean your teeth, wash your face? get changed in your pyjamas and then go to sleep. Most often people do, but they just don't realise they're doing it. But they're actually doing it. So Mm. by doing that, it's almost telling your body, okay, I'm starting to wind down, I'm getting ready for sleep. But those that don't do it, basically they run around 100 miles an hour getting ready for the next day, packing their bags, I don't know, doing the dishes, watching TV Mm -hmm. and jump into bed and go, why can't I sleep? Because your body's going, what are you doing? You can't just lie down and expect (laughs) me to turn off. (laughs) Yeah. So circling back to elite athletes and coming back to that recovery phase, how does it differ, I guess, for for that group of people in particular? And when we talk about elite athletes, bearing in mind that I guess our audience, you know, they're sports parents, so they're kind of that adolescent kind of age group. It doesn't differ too much in the strategies we do. Yeah. The only thing it really does is more just we're looking at the minute things that we can do for an athlete. So, yeah. you know, we have their schedules and we know, you know, what times they're going to be competing and where in the world they're going to be competing and how we can try and align their circadian rhythms and their sleep to optimise. And, mm. you know, is it night games we're dealing with? Or often, to be honest, it's hydration. So often they think that they're fatigued when um, they're exercising. Mm-hmm. But half the time it is hydration that's making them feel um, tired and fatigued. But then on the flip side, as we all do, you have dinner and then you try and catch up because you realise you haven't drank all, all day. And then what they find mm. is it's quite astonishing. You ask them how many times they're getting up to go to the toilet at night and some are getting up three or four times a night to go to the toilet. That's very disruptive on sleep. 
I know we spent, we mentioned strategies and you, you obviously spoke about routine yep. and you also spoke about uh, the little things or the patterns that we form before we go to bed. What are some of the things that we can potentially do um, with our own kids? So as parents, obviously, they just, we often describe having to battle them to get oh, them into bed gosh. at a reasonable hour. Can you give us a little bit of a bracket or about what, what's the right amount of sleep for various ages? And in particular, if we want to reference some adolescents that might have a high training load mm-hmm. and often, you know, some of them, depending on the sport, are up, up at, at 4.30 in the morning and mm-hmm. things like that. What should we be doing mm-hmm. to at least help it look ideal? Mm-hmm. Ideal is the interesting one. So every time they talk about, you know, for adults at magic eight hours, it's obviously off mm-hmm. statistical averages. So there's that individual mm-hmm. variation in there. Um, when we talk about adolescents, they generally need, when they talk about averages, between eight to 10 hours a night. So that yep. sounds like a lot, but these adolescents are going through rapid puberty, mm. all the things that are going on in their body, let alone, like you said, being elite athletes and all the demands mm. that come from that. So mm. with adolescents, they have a circadian rhythm that's a bit different to an adult. Um, so they might be known as night owls, which is what you're describing, how it's hard to get them to go to sleep. Yeah. It's because yes. normally for adults, when you wake up in the morning, every hour that you're awake, your drive for sleep increases. So your propensity to sleep is like you, know, you put on a clock, a stopwatch, and it kind of counts down to when you go to sleep. It's the same with adolescents, but it builds more slowly which means they don't start to feel tired until later in the evening. Okay. And also at night time for us, you release the um, hormone melatonin and that starts mm. to tell your body, okay, it's time to go to sleep and waits longer to start producing that in um, adolescence as well. So there is reason why they are wanting to go to sleep later. Often if you mm. do let them go on their own sleep schedule with you know no restrictions around them, they would normally go to bed mm. at 11 or wake up about 8 or 9, but that's not practical with yeah. school and training like you said. No. So it is very challenging and the best you could do is just try and do all you can to just do little mm. increments. So just try and um, get to bed 15 minutes earlier, half an hour mm. earlier. And often when you do look at what time you're going to bed, sometimes people can't even say why they're going to bed that late. They don't even realise they're going that late mm. until you start focusing on it. So with that in mind, like for example, you mentioned anywhere up to 10 hours for an adolescent. Mm-hmm. And for example, if they were a swimmer or an early morning sport person that had a commitment at 5am, they're getting up at half past four. So the realism around going to bed at half past six at night is obviously not going to happen. Mm. What do you think or what do you recommend around, you know, catch up sleeps? So a 45 minute sleep during the day. Or less, a power nap, let's call it. Yeah. Any, how do they fit into the, to the overall schedule? Mm. Naps are incredible. I'm all for naps. I had a nap about an hour ago. So oh, I love right a nap. Oh, love a nap. I'm a napper too. <laughs> oh, they're so good. So, yeah, naps are a great way of um, essentially catching up or trying to add to getting those hours. It can be an art. Some people can do it and some people find it really hard to do. Mm. Generally, they say that 20 minutes or up to 90 to avoid getting in that deep sleep. And, yep. mm. you know, that's when you wake up feeling groggy and feeling yes. a bit gross. I mean, you know, if they're going to wake up after an hour and feel groggy, that's fine. It'll usually go within half an hour. Um, mm. And at least they've got that extra sleep just to help, you know, reinforce all the um, recovery that needs to be done and help the brain recover. Yeah. So we did talk about that sleep and look at, and I know that you went into it and we're, we're only doing our best 
yes, but to be fair, it is something as a parent and I, as we talked about earlier, it is something that really genuinely like worries me to a point of being I get really stressed about it. So just for context, we have the 15-year-old. We've talked a lot about swimming. She does get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning. She does try to get to bed by 9 o'clock because that's factoring in kind of getting home from swimming and doing homework. I calculate that at, you know, just over seven hours and I know that she's in sleep deprivation constantly. And you can see it actually play out in her um, moods and her personality and I know that it's because she's fatigued. So I'm just throwing it out there because I know that um, other parents and particularly swimming parents perhaps are in that same boat and I don't know the way around it. I don't know how the the people, the swimmers before who have got to very high levels have got through it because it, it is something that um, really worries me. Well, she has become, to be fair, a quite a good napper. She is a yeah. napper, she but when school starts, you don't fall have... asleep at the drop of a hat. Yeah, but you get that on holidays and we've had a summer holiday, but when school starts and you get into the upper end of high school, it becomes harder to nap and their Indeed. training load is increasing at the same time mm-hmm. and it becomes really hard. And, they, and, and Laura, I don't know, you know, with your experience with elite athletes, but, you know, and, and, and perhaps those adolescent athletes who are juggling sort of that workload at school and the workload of training, you know, that fatigue factor, I mean, how, how do these athletes get through that to the other side? Because that's something that I'm banging on about with John all the time and it really upsets me and worries me. I don't know what the question is in that. but you <laughs> I don't know, either. Do you, it's gone for five minutes, hasn't it? Do you experience that? <laughs> Did you remember the question, Laura? Oh, no, God, but is that a common – I guess I'm asking, is that a common experience? Oh, 100%. And yeah. it, it is really hard and, you know, they're still even researching it with elite swimmers. So – so much so there's articles coming out to the right and centre about the times that they start, like you said, really early in the morning mm. and why do they have to? So, well, I don't understand it either. No. I so don't know. What's, why do you need to do it? What they actually found that by doing those early morning swims, the athletes are getting up an hour or so before that so it's eating yes. into their time. So what they started doing at the AIS especially is delaying the start time an hour so, just, so they could get that extra sleep. Obviously, it's not as simple when you're dealing with pool bookings school, and you course. may not be the preference um, swim group yeah. or and then school, but when it is in your control, if they can delay the start time, um, they have been doing it. And even that half an hour makes a difference because if you get Definitely. 30 minutes extra every night, that's significant for the whole, mm. I suppose, weeks. So. It's not easy, especially swimming with how early it is in the morning. We may get to this, but while you're on the topic and Mm -hmm. we talked about that rage, like I feel like there's a rage, like, you know, in terms of that sleep deprivation, what comes out? Like what what is the impact and how does that kind of play out in in people typically? As soon as the the first, I suppose, symptoms with um, when you've got reduced sleep is your mood motivation decreases. Mm. Um, and then with adolescents, you've got all the hormonal response and that's usually when you see they're a bit aggravated yes. or a bit more, for a better term, ratty than normal. Mm, that's their way of showing their tiredness and mm. they're legitimately feeling it. In terms of the physical side, you usually don't see the effects of that till successive days. Okay. So generally we try not to panic. It's, it's a catch-22, mm. right? You want to try and educate people the effects of sleep and how good it mm. is. But at the same time, you almost don't want to worry them because Absolutely. sometimes by educating it, you've got to do it the right yeah. way. Otherwise, they wake up the morning of to... a competition and shit themselves yeah. that they're not going to perform well because mm. they didn't sleep exactly. well. Exactly. 
and they're going to freak out. So the same system that puts you to sleep, it's a bit of a flip-flop switch. Mm. So it's the arousal system also turns it off. So um, if you start worrying, there's no way you're going to get to sleep because mm. you've just flipped that flip-flop switch. And, you know, that's the same when you're reading social media at night time mm. and something exciting might be there or watching a movie and stuff. You can wake yourself up. Mm. So we've got to be really careful when we do educate and the messages we are sending because sometimes I have seen it with people with education, they actually create a problem that may not be there Mm. just by Mm. overemphasising. Yeah, that's a really good point. While we're on the subject, many athletes actually report that they're unable to sleep well the night prior to a big competition Mm. or alternatively the night following intense competition that sometimes is played late into the evening. We all know the famous tennis games that have gone after midnight and we're all sitting up bleary-eyed trying to watch it, but imagine trying to play it. Mm-hmm. Well, Lawyers have been involved in netball, and you've got football netball in games, the evening you've games, got finals and you've swimming. Got, you've got swimming where you've mm-hmm. heats in the morning and finals in the evening yeah. and many other sports that we're not touching on. What is the advice that's out there as to how we or the athletes themselves can best manage those fluctuations in order to return to training or their next competition in the mm-hmm. best possible way? It is hard and I suppose it's a myriad of things. I mean, probably a good example is we had an extreme with the Australian Netball Diamonds during their World Cup in Sydney in 2015. Yeah. So we were the home nation. Because we were the home nation, we were put on um, at peak viewing time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we were playing 8.30, 9 o'clock games, yep. which are quite late, but yeah. they play eight games in 10 days. So it's a backup. So it's not like your professional teams where, you know, you might play once in a weekend. Yeah. Yeah, And have a week to recover essentially. This is, you need to be on. And obviously by the end of a tournament, you really want to be on. Mm. That's where games are won or lost. So we just literally threw every single strategy we could think of at them, but we were all very strategic in it, in that most of the stuff they probably wouldn't even be aware that Mm. we were doing. So, um, are you able to share some of that with us? Yeah, so we without, were. Without, secret, break, without breaking trust? Sleep. Oh, yeah, of course. Straight. This was 10 years ago. It's, you know, <laughs> moved on from there. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, we would try and get them to shift their rhythms for what they were doing before they were coming in. So making them, you know, those that were early wakers, trying to wake a bit later mm. and get used to that. We then played around at the end of a game, usually it'd take a bit longer to do your media interviews mm. and do your ice baths and, you know, take your yep. time to take your tape off and all that kind of stuff. We hurried that because obviously the main thing is food and sleep are your main recovery mm. and, you know, performance enhancers. So we yep. prioritised them. Um, and then when we did get there, we tried to use, I suppose, sleep promoting foods. So foods that were high in tryptophan, which is like a type of um, sleep hormone. And then at the end of the night as well, made like a bit of a sleep drink, we called it, like milk and berries in it. So again, just another little thing. Okay. And then in the background, we just dimmed the lights and started to play real calming kind of music. So, you know, they might come in full of adrenaline, excited talking about the game, but before you know it, by the time they left... They're a bit more mellower leaving because mm-hmm. we had kind of downregulated their body without them realizing. Oh, tricky. That's pretty cool, nice. actually. Did you find it effective? Well, we won the World Cup. Oh, um, I mean, it's well, not that's just because of that well, at all. Not that. I'm sure it is a contributor. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, they still went to bed, some of them, especially the hard part is if you don't have a good game, you're, you know, reliving it in your head, that you stuff's do. hard to stop. Mm. But we would give them stuff like progressive muscle relaxation, mm-hmm. recordings. So that's where you... So like a meditation kind of thing? 
Yeah, you listen because um, athletes are very much somatic people, so they know all about their body. Mm. So when you're asking them to clench a muscle and release a muscle and then clench another one and release, they're pretty good at that. So I usually start with that when it comes to promoting, you know, mindfulness and relaxation because yep. they know their body, that's their bread and butter. So I usually find that effective before you start um, going into the more complex, I suppose, kind of ones to grasp. Yes. So that was a good one just always have on their phone should they need it. And then half the time they found they couldn't get through a full recording because it was just a matter of, very cool. you know, turning their mind off and bringing it to the, yeah their body and then out they went. What about in the lead up? Laura, and I'm not sure, you know, how far in advance you get given the draw or when you know, but um, what about things like training times? Yeah, as soon as we know training times, we start to, you know, within reason, um, try to start to train at those times because they're the times that you're going to be playing yes. um, and getting the body used to it. So, um, you know, if you're going to be playing night games, you're not going to be training mornings I because... Yeah, mm. exactly. You're going to rock up that night and your body's going to be going, what on earth is going on? <laughs> so um, we do try and play with, yeah, your body rhythms um, as much as possible um, and, again, within reason. So um, definitely. And, I mean, that's what the Olympic team as well did prior to, like you said, the swim meets were late at night and going into early morning. Yep. They were doing um, simulation kind of camps to, um, again, try strategies and see what worked prior. So, again, it's not the first time you're doing it. Mm. You're ready to go. What about things like the use of sleep tracking devices? And that's a popular phenomenon presently that mm. many people are undertaking. What are your thoughts on the effectiveness of sleep tracking and what needs to be considered for it to be actually beneficial? A really good question. And I laugh because a colleague of mine had a great analogy the other day and I can actually steal it and use it oh, now. Cool. He was saying it's um, important to realise despite the marketing in terms of purchasing this stuff, it won't improve your sleep just by purchasing, purchasing <laughs> it. So it's equivalent to buying a set of bathroom scales and expecting to lose weight. That your weight's going to get I better. I was like, isn't that such a good way of, um, it is. of stating it? Um, so, yeah, it is one of those things. Just because you buy it doesn't mean you're going to improve your sleep and like we stated before, sometimes whenever I put, when we put sleep monitors on athletes, you usually find they come back and they go, I didn't sleep very well at all because it was on me and I knew it was tracking my sleep. And then I started thinking about it and I couldn't. Mm. So it's quite interesting, but I'm not against them because they make people focus on their sleep and start to really think about, like we said before, doing some of those sleep hygiene things or put awareness to what time they are going to sleep and waking up. They're not always the most accurate, the commercially yep. available ones out there. So I wouldn't use it as a hard and fast in terms of how many hours it is saying you're getting. Or if they start saying, trying to break the sleep up, I definitely wouldn't um, trust in that. So the different phases. Yes. But yeah, if it's bringing awareness to and making you think of it, I'm all for it because then you can start, you know, prioritizing and doing the dark rooms and um, making sure things are quiet and all that kind of but stuff. But like you said, purchasing the equipment doesn't necessarily <laughs> yep. mean it's going to actually do anything for you. All the gear and no idea. That comes no. to mind. Exactly. <laughs> when you say that, can you share with us your knowledge of banking sleep and what does it mean and how can it help adolescent athletes? It's a very interesting term, banking sleep, isn't it? And I think it's one I'm where. Curious. I want to know exactly what it means. Yeah, it's 
I suppose it's worthwhile saying it's not like necessarily like a financial transaction mm. where you can, I suppose, deposit sleep over the weekend and go, I'm going to cash that it in was, now. Yeah. That's how I perceive time. it when I read the word. Oh, what a shame, Isn't it? hey? Can't just keep that up yes. the sleeve. Yeah, exactly. I suppose the better way to look at it is, like we were saying before, getting that additional 15 to 30 minutes each night is beneficial. Or yep. I suppose maybe I have used um, banking as a strategy in the past, whereby if we know we've got something you know pretty major mm. coming up, whether that be for adolescents, it be an exam mm. or a big state tournament or nationals or something coming up, yep. you know that week or two beforehand, you just really want to prioritize sleep mm-hmm. um, and not just sleep all your recovery strategies and fueling strategies mm-hmm. so you can go in feeling the best you yeah. can be and you know all your energy levels filled up and I suppose um, on the flip side of that one that we do commonly see especially in adolescent athletes is what they do is they during the week are pretty good yes. with their routine and um, you know depending on what sport it is um, whether they're up early or they can you know it's the other spectrum they're doing late yeah. nights because that's the only time they can get the court bookings yes. and that kind of stuff but in general sense they're pretty good in terms of their mm-hmm. routine um, it's pretty stable and then what happens Goes all um, out the window. is the weekend comes and everyone goes I can stay up late or I can sleep in I can catch up I can try and bank or I can that, go to sleep. that sleepover yeah it's really called a wakeover yeah which kills yeah. me but then what happens is they come in on Monday and, you know, it's the same. Coaches might go, oh, you know what, I'm going to give you guys the weekend off. You will really, really, you know, get benefit from that and you'll come back raring to go on Monday. And as we all know, yep. that's no, not the what first happens. Sessions yeah. generally a flat one. absolutely sluggish on Monday. They are um, cranky, they're groggy, it's hard yeah. to get going. Um, so what people don't realise is by doing that, they're essentially putting their body into jet mm. lag. So you're actually shifting your rhythms um, by two or three hours. So essentially, you know, you're going from Sydney to over here in Perth. You're coming for a journey across um, the country. It's knocking us around. Yeah, it's really knocking you around. So what they do generally try and say is try and get up at a relatively consistent time. You know, if you're a swimmer and you're getting Mm. up at 4.30, don't get up at 4.30. (laughs) I usually say that hour or so. Yeah, you know, get sleep in but not excessively. But use your naps. Mm. That's where your naps come in handy to, you know, in quotation marks, use that banking yeah, to try and get that up and start the week off fresh without putting yourself into jet lag because jet lag is not a fun feeling. Oh, not at all. it's the worst. Absolutely. Oh, it's horrible, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah, it busts you up. There's no question. I mean, we all haven't really experienced that in a while. No, we haven't. I was thinking that as we were talking. It's not fun. I know, not real (laughs) jet lag. No. No. But what impact can regular disruption of sleep have on a young athlete's mindset and obviously eventually their performance? Like we said, the first thing to go off is that mood and motivation. Mm. And as soon as mood and motivation, you know, goes off, that transpires into all your other bodily systems and um, ultimately goes to negative Mm. performance. So, and again, if you're that with their, I suppose, knowledge of, or again, however it's communicated to them that if you're not getting good sleep, mm. you're not going to perform well and you're going to rock up to that start line before they even started. They've already told themselves yeah. they're not They'll going the to eyeball. have the best competition. Yeah, it's not great. So I think what we want to be doing is saying, yeah, it's beneficial. 
Um, it certainly helps you, helps your immunity. Mm. It does help you, um, you know, your sporting um, sense. But one night of bad sleep is not going to affect that performance. Yeah. So it's really crucial because, um, yeah, your brain's everything, right? It's your main control centre. Yeah, otherwise you'll focus too much on it. Yeah. I was just going to say, so with that in mind, with, for example, poor sleep the night before a big meet or a big competition, is it their level of perceived exertion that is altered by feeling fatigued, albeit they can still put out the same performance on the court or the field or the track? Yeah, you usually find athletes uh, um, or anyone's usually really good at producing Mm. that one-off performance, um, no matter what the circumstances around. So you generally don't find its effect too big in terms of that. It's usually when it's you're seeing really reduced sleep over a few Mm. sustained nights, that's when you're really going to see it play out. But I suppose when you think about, you know, decision-making and that kind of stuff, um, uh, again, some of your first things to go off, so your cognitive processes, it does make you wonder, you know, you may not be able to show it, but, you know, how are you going 90 minutes into that game in terms of decision-making? Yep. It may not be where it mm, usually fine is. fine motor skills. Yeah, so I think that's where you might feel it the most, um, but I suppose that's compounded by a whole lot of other factors that are going on in a game as well. So Definitely. It'd be hard to pretty show, yeah, show yeah, that. Yeah, so I guess coming back to, you know, what we can do as sports parents, um, how, how can we best support our kids going to sleep without literally feeling like we are repeating ourselves and knocking our heads against a brick wall and really tearing our hair out and all of the other cliche sayings. That and we... I have lots of hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what can we do? I mean, and you talked about, you know, perhaps um, being harping on about the education may not be necessarily great either because that can, you know, have the reverse Um, effect as well so you know we're all a bit helpless to be honest Uh, is there anything you can suggest we we do I suppose it's just like like kind of what we um similarly in terms of strategies did for the netballers in terms of you know there's about 30 different things you can be doing in terms of um, sleep hygiene it's just trying to figure out what you can assist and control without them almost not realizing that you know they're doing it So, you know, making sure their room is cool, like 21, 22 degrees is best. Yeah, not at all, but that's... I mean, again, there's some variation. I like a really cold room. My husband likes hot rooms, so that kind of doesn't really work, does it? I'm a cold. Oh, you're a cold? Yeah, isn't it best having your doona on and feeling all snug? Yep. Um, Dark rooms, quiet rooms, they're comfortable. They generally say use your bedroom for sleep. Mm. Um, So try and remove that electronics. And this is where it does become hard and you do see the battles is that Mm -hmm. electronics and, you know, the late night blue light for a better term. Yep. Mm -hmm. I think what we've done with a lot of them in the past is just acknowledge we know you're going to go on it and you need to feel connected Mm. and everything, but it's just the timing of it. So come home and Mm. go on or do it just before dinner and there's not going to be too much that's going to change in that Mm. last half an hour. So then turn it off and feel like you've done what you've needed to do rather than going into bed and pulling out the phone. So there's just little, you know, like little nuances you can do there that make such a huge difference. You talked about the food before briefly and you mentioned milk and berries um, because I'm interested in that as well. Is there anything that would be helpful to eat or, you know, that kind of thing that you think would be helpful? It might sound dumb, Laura, but I've always thought in my mind. I don't know um, what you're going to say. Bananas? No, oh. actually it wasn't. I was going to say turkey. 
Oh, God. <laughs> I honestly was because every time you eat like a roast, you feel tired. Oh, have you got any more helpful information than John is, it, is, is throwing that, out is, there? Is there any trip? Is there any trip to Thane in Turkey? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? Ironically, trip to fan can be found in Turkey and chicken. Oh, boom! So maybe they're even at a lesson to do with that. I don't know if I should be agreeing yeah, with you. Give them turkey just before they go to bed. <laughs> I meant for dinner. Oh well, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to give her a slice of turkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she's getting. That's what you're hey, getting. Andy, whack this bit of turkey in before you go to sleep. Seriously. Anything no, that I might meant, be more meant, of a pre-bedtime routine, I Laura. I post-competition meal, wind down How about you with a berry for smoothie. for a second and let Laura speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who's the turkey? Um, you. A lot of people tend to take chamomile tea. Yeah. You know when you hear people yes. and they have their tea and they have chamomile yep. tea? Is there yeah, truth that's, in that? Um, one that's known. Apparently, I mean, I'm no dietitian, so oh, yeah, I'm sure. definitely going outside my scope here. But um, No, no, fair enough. That's fair. It is um, one that they generally do say. Another one that we did explore for a little bit and it was taking off back in the day and I don't know where the research is at at mm-hmm. the moment is tart cherry juice. Mm. So that's meant to assist with sleep but also help with inflammation, oh, yeah. which is obviously cool. another good recovery kind of source. Okay. So we played around with it a little bit, um, but timing's everything, I think. Mm. Again, more of a, I'd say, a dietitian based kind no, of understand. one. But in terms yeah. of yeah. science, it's, um, you know, something that is out there that's probably worth potentially reading up on um, if it is something that's limiting. Okay, so turkey, some turkey and some cherry juice. <laughs> milk? milk? I'm not a dietitian uh, either, but that's what I'm describing. Have to have <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Some turkey, milk, What about a turkey basted in cherry sauce? Enough. You're the turkey now. It's, it's more milk. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, man. Oh, this is a no, it is. Wow, look where we've got to. Indeed. We, we really Coming have. Coming back on we've, track, John, we, yeah, with your I'm, list I'm of questions. I'm heading back. I'm heading back. Look, we, we've to to assist us with getting rid of some of this laughter, perhaps we need to go to something serious like mm-hmm. your key piece of advice about sleep for sports parents and what would it be? My favourite all-time advice that I use at the end of every presentation or any time I'm talking to someone is don't stay up for something you would not get up early for. And that's for adolescents and for adults and for anyone because... I like that. Yeah, that's our number one thing. You know, I'll just watch one more show or I'll just do this, I don't know, these days, one more email, I'll just do this. It's like when I get up to do this, no, I'm going to bed. I like it. So, yeah, that's my favourite one. Yeah, or be loyal to your bedtime like you are your morning alarm again. So there's a few different ways of, you know, saying it. But really, in essence, that's the number one thing that is affecting us is that reduced duration and, mm. you know, that's governed by your bedtime, really. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au, to connect. Catch you next week. <laughs>